Welcome back to STEM Fatal, your women in science history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Emlyn Gremlin. <laughs> you said that so sultry. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm in a sultry mood today. <laughs> Maybe it's the heat and the lack of AC I have at my new place. Oh, boy. Mm. That sounds hot. Um, and you live in Georgia, for anyone. And I live in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to stalk you, I guess, but... Yeah, I'm your other co-host. I always say ho-host. I don't know why. I think think that's what you want to be. You want to be a ho-host. I like it. I'm your other co-host, Dr. Emma Dilemma. (laughs) Um, It's hot here, too, but I had the AC on in my bedroom for, like, until, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, but it's already warming yeah. up again, so we'll see how delirious so, we both get, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, how steamy, how steamy the story gets. It's not that steamy. Okay, well, maybe we'll make it steamy. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I don't, I'm trying to think of where it could even be steamy, and it's really not steamy Sometimes at it all. happens in... In the most unexpected There's not a locations. single love interest. Spoiler oh. alert. <laughs> Sadness. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we start, I just wanted to tell you oh, yeah. a little story. Yeah, you, we were quick. chatting. It happened this week. We always yeah. chat so, pre-pod, and then Emlyn starts telling me a story. She said, no, I'm saving it for the pod. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not even that good, and it's not very long, but I, it's... Better than most of my stories. Uh. So last night I got a text from my brother and it's this video clip. There's like no context. Oh. And you watch it and it's him and my sister-in-law chatting while they're like their video cameras on their car and the doors open. Uh And they're like, don't go out there. Don't go out there. And then all of a sudden a bear (gasps) comes out of the driver's seat. What? So I guess they were like taking stuff out of their car because they like went uh, on a little trip to stay at this cabin and they left the door open or actually I th- they said that it opened the door. So maybe they hadn't closed it fully. Oh my gosh, bears but are just so smart. A whole black bear got into the driver's seat and just sat there for a while. That's <laughs> what if it started driving the car? <laughs> And then finally got out and, like, I think tried to get in on the passenger side for some reason and then got discouraged and left. That's so adorable. (laughs) It's scary. Yeah. They were both, like, freaking out in the video, like, don't go and close the door. Um, But anyways, I really like that. Where was that? Mm, Like, by Gatlinburg, which is Tennessee, I think. Yeah. So I think it's, like, near the Blue Ridge Mountains. Yeah, that's where you enter the Smoky Mountain National yeah. Park. It's one of the yeah. big entrances. Okay, that, that makes was sense. The yeah. wel- they're welcoming. When you enter the park, a yeah. black bear gets into your car bears so there. that you know you're there. Yep, <laughs> That's so yep. cute. 
It's like trying out cars. It's like, oh, I just don't quite fit in this one. Yeah, this one's a little too roomy, or you know, I don't like a stick shift. Uh-huh. I would really like something that's convertible. Right, right. So I can feel the wind beneath my fur. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Don't go in there. <laughs> <laughs> It's like going to be a ghost and then it's just a cute bear. My nephews, you can hear them in the background being like, smash them! (laughs) (laughs) Getting really excited. It's like, no, we're not going to smash the bear. The bear's fine. (laughs) Smash the bear. It will be on its own. Yeah. Anyways, that's my story. I love it. I'm glad you saved it. Bear encounters. Bear encounters. Okay, I'll try to think of another bear encounter story for next pod. Love it. That would be such a weird segment to have. Yeah, if we just Women in Science slash Bear Encounters. Bear Encounters. <laughs> Stump Fatal Bear. Bear Fatal. I don't know. Bear Fatal. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Well, think That would be actually a bad, now that I actually think about it, that would be a bad yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Just fatal bear, bear attacks. <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't want that. No, that's not good. Just watch Grizzly Man if you need that in your life. Is I don't. I don't need that in my life. That's the one where the guy like lives with the grizzly bears. Did you And doesn't he end up killed yeah. by the grizzly bears? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you. Anyway. So what are we talking about today? Um today, Evelyn. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about sad bear attacks. Great. Love it. But I am going to tell you about the first woman to receive a doctorate of science in Japan. Ooh. And that is Kono Yasui. Kono Yatsui? Yeah. Love it. Okay. So, I mean, I guess you'll probably tell me. You said uh, first PhD in science? Yeah. Or in what? anything, but it's just, they call it a doctor of science. So what I don't know how that works with doctorates gotcha. in humanities gotcha. or anything, but. Gotcha. They say she I was going to first... ask what her subject is, but I don't want to know. I want, I want to just be taken on a ride. Like she's a f- basically out. the first science PhD in all of Japan. Yeah. Woman. Love Sorry. it. Yeah. Okay. So Kono. To- Yasui was born on February 16th, 1880, in the port town of Sanbonmatsu in the Kagawa Prefecture of Japan, where prefectures are basically like states, you know, Mm -hmm. they're just like territories, different territories. Um, Her father was the owner of a shipping business. And she would eventually become the oldest of nine children. So she had eight siblings. Yeah. Though you don't hear that much about, I mean, I don't know that much about her childhood or her other siblings except for like one of them, but that's cool. It's a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, As a child, she read a lot and excelled in school and her parents were really encouraging of her pursuit of education and would give her books on like progressive philosophies of the time and yeah they were generally like good 
it's good to be educated, even if you're a yeah. girl. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So um, when she graduated from the Kagawa Prefecture Normal School, she decided to continue pursuing education and enrolled in the Women's Higher Normal School Division of Science in Tokyo. Um, Gotcha. So just for some background, because the whole normal school thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little strange. You see, so I, I looked up, so I started looking it up and got into like, all these things on women's education reform in Japan, which is, which really did shape her education. So I'm just going to give a little background on that. Um, Tell me everything. Yeah. So or some things. So right. So when Kona was a child, it turns out that Japan was going uh, through sort of a reformation in education where schooling for girls was slowly becoming more available and it often became kind of like more available right before Kona would need it. So that is like elementary education requirements for girls were put in place about 10 years before Kona was born. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the addition of more middle schools for girls happened about 10 years later, which was right before Kona would be of age to attend middle schools. So in some senses, she was born kind of right in this time when girls and women's education was becoming more of the norm. But it was also um, these educational reforms sort of took place with the general idea that educating women would make them better wives. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is like the eighteen late 1800s where um, the idea, there's sort of a motto for Japanese education reform of good wife, wise mother, in quotes, uh-huh. where okay. if you educate women, they'll be smarter. So they'll raise smarter children and run their homes like more efficiently or whatnot. So you're basically just educating them to make them better wives rather than to make them free or have them add to research or science or anything, uh, go out into different jobs. You know, it was still expected for women to kind of go home after gaining an education. I appreciate and like (laughs) the, the means, but the goal is a little, questionable yeah to me. so it, it, that also meant that like schools for girls when they were which i think were all segregated at that time like in the sexes were not necessarily as good as schools for boys and they also had a different focus often in things like home economics or philosophy or something right yeah this is like the opposite of the ends justify the means. It's like the means justify the ends. Right. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. Like, I mean, it just was a slow movement, basically. Yeah. yeah. One step at a time. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I will take it. Yeah. Um, and so after middle school, at the time when Kona was growing up, there were high schools called normal schools, or shihan gakos in Japanese, 
which were educational institutions specifically for training teachers. And that was really the only high school education that most girls could receive um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s in Japan. And this is a type of school that Kono attended in the Kagawa prefecture where she grew up before she gained admittance to the higher normal school in Tokyo, which at the time she enrolled in 1898 was the only educational institution in Japan offering any higher form of education to women than high school. Gotcha. Oh, man. Yeah. And this was one. Yeah. And this was still a teacher training school, but it was uh, more, it was still like kind of a higher education than the other normal schools than the high school normal schools. Yeah. Gotcha. And Japan did have imperial universities, which trained researchers and scientists, but they were all men. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, and women could not attend these universities. And let's see at the, right. So at the higher normal school, the government did pay their tuition And admittance was pretty stringent. You know, there are only maybe 100 students at a time. But women graduating from the school were expected to teach for five years following the end of their studies. Gotcha. Okay, so that's some background on where women's education was at the time. And sort of, yeah, putting that into perspective. And so... Kono went to the higher normal school in Tokyo, and after finishing her studies, she remained on the Honshu Island, where Tokyo is, um, and she taught science at a different girls' normal school on the island. Mm -hmm. In 1905, though, they opened a science research department at the women's higher normal school, and so she decided to enroll while she was still teaching, too. And I don't totally understand. It's like kind of a graduate department, but I don't think they gave degrees. It was just okay. like facilities to do research, I guess. I don't know. It, I didn't quite understand like what this officially was or why it was allowed, but mm-hmm. even still. Um, so with encouragement from one of her professors – She began studying the Weberian apparatus of carp, which is a fish. Um, (laughs) What apparatus? (laughs) So, from Wikipedia, the (laughs) Weberian apparatus is a body part in carp and related fishes that connects the swim bladder to the auditory system. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. I mean, this is the only fish study she ever did. Um, and, but she completed it pretty rapidly, this like descriptive study of this apparatus. And she published it in the Japanese scientific journal Zoological Science, making her the first Japanese woman to publish a scholarly paper in a scientific journal. That's amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. So now she's 27 and she completes her studies, which whatever that means, um, Mm -hmm. and is hired as an assistant professor at the Women's Higher Normal School. So now she's kind of, they have this sort of research institute, I guess, and she's teaching at her alma mater, the Women's Higher Normal School. 
But she doesn't necessarily have a PhD because no, or even a college degree. Like, was the high wait was the higher education they didn't give bachelors or anything um, like that? I don't think so. I think it was kind of just. I think it was a teaching degree, so maybe it would be considered a bachelor's. But I don't even think a bachelor's was like a degree that existed in Japan. If that makes sense. Yeah. But I guess yeah. equivalent, maybe. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I find whenever I'm doing some of these stories, it's, like, very hard to figure out what... Because, like, gr- degrees have changed over time, or, like, they weren't called the same thing, or they were formatted so differently that it's hard to equivalent yeah. Yeah. what someone got back then, necessarily, with, like, our right. understanding of a bachelor's or a master's or a PhD. Yeah. So she definitely completed, like, sort of a college, like, a teaching college course Mm -hmm. of study. And I don't know if they gave out degrees for that or if it was just like, okay, this is done. Now you're ready to teach, you know? Yeah. Um, But, yeah. But, yeah, so she was hired as an assistant professor at this women's higher normal school, um, which is nice because then she could stay in Tokyo, you know, full time, essentially. Yeah. And her professor then suggested that she studied leeches. <laughs> study leeches. Ooh. And I don't know why any of these things were on this professor's mind because <laughs> from what I could find of him, he studied, he mostly studied freshwater clams and other mollusks. So I'm not sure you know, why. Sometimes you just get excited by things and you're like, I wish someone yeah. would study this leech. Yeah, study leeches, study this apparatus, like, and fish. I don't know. I have another digression real quick. Yeah, sure. So this week I went and ended this experiment out at these, like, water reclamation wetlands. Yeah. So water gets treated at a wastewater treatment facility and then goes through all these wetlands to like further clean them. And the first wetland we went in, I I actually, I sent Andres in um, and he's in his like waders (laughs) and he brings the cages back and they are filled with leeches. (gasps) Ew. Like the most leeches I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. Everywhere. Luckily, I don't think we like got any... None of them, like, latched on, but it was just, you know, a lot of treated human feces and leeches. It was great. Uh, It was a great time. What? Ugh. That's freaking gross. Um, That's all. That's all I have to say about that. Well, this is, like, the end of the leeches, because guess what? Kono thought leeches were gross, too. (laughs) And she didn't want to study them. Yeah, she's like, why do you want me to study these leeches, clam man? So, well, we're leaving the leeches behind. And instead... Okay. <laughs> instead Probably she, wise. Yeah, she decided to um, that she wanted to study plant development in oh. cytology, which cytology just means the study of cells. And so at that time, too, there was a lot of, like, rev- revolutions in microscopes and... Mm-hmm microscopy and microtomes which you can use to make like thin sections of tissue and so you know people could visualize cells by taking thin sections of tissue and putting them on a slide and looking at them under a microscope you know yeah 
And so she began studying the gametic cells, or specifically the prothallium, of aquatic of the aquatic fern Salvinia natans. And this study, which included 119 drawings of microtome sections of fern cells, cells, was published in the Japanese Journal of Plant Science. Nice. Although this publication was protested by some male scientists at the time. Of course. Just like because it was a woman publishing it, not because of Uh the science. Yeah. It also caught the attention of a professor working at the Tokyo Imperial University, Kichi Mm. Miyake, Miyake, who asked if she wanted to work with him. And so for the next few years, she worked in his lab while she was teaching at the Women's Normal University. And at his suggestion, she submitted her paper on fern prothallium development to the British journal Annals of Botany, and it was accepted. Um, Oh, cool. And this made her the first Japanese woman to publish in an international scientific journal. So she just kind of keeps doing it. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Right. So Japanese universities were still formally closed to women. So she was not a graduate student, per se, and Mm -hmm. could not gain a higher degree in Japan. So beyond this larger societal barrier to gaining higher education, she was also personally barred from multiple activities. So, for instance, she was still teaching at a girl's high school at this time. And this, oh, wait, this is at the, sorry, she was teaching at the higher girls, the girls higher normal school. Sorry. It's Uh all, all the normal schools, I get them mixed up. And she decided to write a new physics textbook for use at the school. But the Japanese Ministry of Education would not approve of it because it was written by a woman. Of course. And they said a girl should never write something like that. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. uh, Yeah. Makes me so angry. (laughs) Let's see. And then, in addition, around that time, she submitted a request to continue her studies and research overseas, where she could learn new techniques from other researchers in the U.S. and in Germany. And this request was initially rejected by the Ministry of Education because they didn't think that she could ever, like, actually have a career in research, so why would they pay for her to, like, go train? (laughs) It's because she's a woman. She's never going to use this training, you know? So why would we pay for it? It's so circular. You won't let her have a career in science, and so you won't pay pay for her to get, (laughs) like, more education because she'll never have a career in science because you've decided she'll never have a career in science. Yeah. It's insane. But unfortunately, she she always had a lot of professors that were very encouraging and supportive of her. Um, and so another professor at the Tokyo Imperial University, Kenjiro Fuji, helped her actually get... Prom- he, like, helped her... 
um, appeal to the ministry, essentially. Nice. And they finally granted her permission to study cytology abroad as long as... <laughs> and oh, just you wait. She agreed to also study home economics while abroad. What? And Excuse- as long as she agreed to never marry, but instead to commit her life to research. Why the fuck? <laughs> because I can't. you can't do both, Emlyn. <laughs> you can't. You you can't demand that shit of people. Also, why do you want her to study home economics? Because just in case she ever. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That's that's like. I think maybe one of the worst. That is that's worse than you have to stand behind a sheet so the men don't <laughs> ogle you. I don't know. It's all bad. <laughs> it's all very bad. But that's just like what she's not going to priesthood. I know, right? It's it's really really wild. Um <sighs> okay. I'm I'm okay now. <laughs> I've calmed down. <laughs> Continue. This the whole agreeing not to marry thing is really bizarre to me. Like, I don't know. Well, teachers couldn't be... I think for a long time, teachers in the U.S. had to also be unmarried. Because, like, then if you were married, you potentially could get pregnant. And then potentially students could know that you had sex. And therefore, the world will end. Yeah, I mean, it's like during this time, too, there were a couple women's universities that were created, um, and a lot of appeals from different people for Japan to, like, open universities up to women, and they, mm-hmm. the government or the ministry would always kind of be like, well, we just don't have enough money, like, so, it, I don't know, which is really kind of silly to just say... You know, I feel like they they basically rationalize not allowing women to do things because they couldn't afford it, which is just, mm-hmm. which is the same yeah. thing as like, well, if she gets pregnant, then what do we invest in? What were we investing yeah. in this whole time? You know, like viewing yeah. it as an investment that's lost if someone gets married, which is like education is an investment whether or not, like, a good investment, whether or not yeah. somebody pursues a career, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's good for people to be educated, <laughs> whatever. So, let's see. I can't, Emma. <clears throat> but at least she got permission. That's the good thing, because <laughs> it did change her life. <laughs> good, good. Um, in 1914, she traveled to the University of Chicago where she completed a study of the evolution of trees of the persimmon family. So this was, what she did was, like, study the cells of different persimmon plants and then compare the morphology of cells and come up with kind of, like, these morphology-based phylogenetic trees or, like, family trees, you know. Um, And she had plans to also study in Germany... But those were kind of canceled when World War One broke out. So yeah, 
Checks out. You know, World War II, famous women's lib- liberator. World War One, not so much. No, not not as good. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, World War One helped uh, women gain the right to vote. So, you know, when women were oh, yeah. working. Yeah. Yeah. Both world wars. All, all wars are great for women. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Um, but so instead <laughs> of going to Germany, she went to Harvard to work with uh, Professor Edward C. Jeffrey, who had developed a new method for making really thin cuts of hard material like coal so that you oh. could view it under a microscope. And she learned that technique from him. And the next year, 1916, she returned to Japan with an interest in investigating coal. Ladies all over the place. Yeah. So she still could not be hired as a researcher or a graduate student of Tokyo Imperial University. But they were able to figure out a way for her to do research at the university while getting paid to work part-time as a supervisor of student genetics projects, which is kind of... They just figured out this really roundabout way for her to get access to the research facilities there and even access to some grant money. Yeah. But she couldn't be a student, <sighs> technically. <laughs> you know, it's like when you're try- when you want that person there to be a student and you have to go around and do right. all of these hodgepodge things it's very clear what the simpler solution would be you know right and that you should just get over it yeah and do it um and during this time she still taught full-time she was a full professor at the women's higher normal school which was her main source of income and so she would like many of our our previous women she would complete all of her research outside of normal working hours when does she sleep? Though? I don't know. Yeah. Well, she's I'm not so allowed tired. to marry Emlyn. Yeah, so. it's true. She can't have it. Have any? She's fully devoted she to science. She has a lot of time on her hands. <laughs> she's not married. And her interest at this time was showing and describing the cellular changes that occur as plant matter turns into coal. And so, oh. okay, right. so, I see a connect. I see the yeah. connection now. So, for some science background, and I felt dumb for not knowing this, (laughs) but coal forms from dead plant matter that decays into peat and is then uh, converted into coal by the heat and pressure of deep burial over millions of years. Did you know that? (laughs) Um, Not in so many words, but roughly. If someone asked me oh, how yeah. coal is made, I think I would not have said anything eloquent like that. Yeah. But I roughly know it's plant matter that and pressure. Yeah. And so you can also, to distinguish, you can also make charcoal, which which is made from um, slow-burning wood. But that's mm-hmm. sort of different than coal that we use, like, for, you know, energy and whatever. Yeah. And so to study the formation of coal, Yas or Kono traveled around Japan's islands collecting coal samples from different mines, which was often very precarious work where she would, for example, um, have to be lowered into pits 30 feet to 100 feet deep on baskets woven out of rope. What? And 
Yeah, I read somewhere that this scared her mother, who was often very encouraging of her educational pursuits. <laughs> it scares me. Yeah. Not even her mother. Um, yeah, so pretty intense. But in this work, she not only discovered and classified six new species of plant fossils, or like basically extant plants, but she disproved a running theory that microbes were responsible for, or sorry, extinct plants, sorry. Um, but she disproved a running theory that microbes were responsible for coal formation. Oh. And instead, she showed that plants turn to coal through long, slow geological processes. She also determined which types of plants or ancestors of modern plants were likely those that formed into coal, since it seemed like there were types of plants that were more likely to become coal. Mm -hmm. And she did this all by collecting different stages of coal, cutting super thin slices into the coal, and looking at those slices under a microscope to see the plant cells. And then she would compare the cells of coal to those of living plants and other types of coal and see, look at like the cell membranes and see how, you know, the, those change during the coal process and whatnot. And, you know, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, no, it's very cool. Yeah. I never really thought about studying how plants turn into coal. Yeah, like, I never would think of coal as kind of a biological... Yeah, exactly. It's both biological and geological, so it's just this really interesting, like, kind of plant biology field that she got into. Yeah. And so the end result of this whole project was, in 1927, was nine papers, together titled... Studies on the structure of lignite, brown coal, and bituminous coal in Japan, where lignite and bituminous coal are different stages of coal in the in the whole coal process. <laughs> it's just saying gotcha. coal a lot. Doesn't even sound like coal, a word coal, anymore. Coal. And this project and these nine papers so impressed people at the Tokyo Imperial University that they gave her a doctorate of science. <laughs> yes, finally. At the age of 47, uh, Kono oh Yasui God. became the first woman in Japan to receive a PhD. Better late than never. Though she was not a student, they were just so impressed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's probably like an, you know... When people get honorary doctorates, they right. don't necessarily have to, but they've done enough yeah. high-quality work that they give you a, a right. PhD. Um, the university still did not allow women to be students and at, at that time or for another 20 years. Oh, my goodness. But this was newsworthy around Japan with papers writing about it and... Um, yeah, it was kind of covered by the media, and it was an exciting moment in time for women in Japan. And I think quite a few people, it wasn't just something that happened that nobody knew about. Like, people yeah, knew okay. about it at the time. Nice. That's cool. In 1929, she, along with her mentor, Kenjiro Fuji, started the Cytology Journal Cytologia which is like a oh. journal for the study of cells. 
And around that time, she began researching cell structure and genetics of a variety of plants, including poppies, corn, lilies. And she focused a lot on, yeah, determining morphology-based phylogenies for different species that she was studying, you know, essentially coming up with hypotheses about plant evolutionary trees based on differences and similarities in their cell cellular structures. That's so cool. The, I like these like two diverging yeah. topics. I mean, they're both kind of the evolution. One's, you know, actually the evolution, like Darwin evo- Darwinian evolution of plants. And the right. other one's like the succession of plants into coal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Changes over time. It's cool. I like it. And let's see, these morphological comparisons of plant cells to determine evolutionary history of plant families, along with her studies of coal formation, would form the basis of her entire research career, resulting in at least 95 papers, the last of which she published when she was 77 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she wasn't allowed to marry, you know? And she spent also, she also spent all of her career as a teacher. And after World War II, which brought about even more educational reform in Japan, she campaigned for the establishment of a national women's university, which could confer degrees and allow women to do specialized study and research. And eventually, through her and others campaigning, This resulted in the transition of the Tokyo Women's Higher Normal School to Ochano Mizu University in 1949. Yes, yes, yes. So, and there were other women's universities at the time, but they were private, I believe. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, and... 1949 is so late. I know. Like... Yeah... And it's still a women's university. I mean, maybe they started Mm -hmm. letting women into universities before then. I I kind of, I didn't look that up. Yeah. Uh, So she was a professor. I mean, this is the university she, or school she's been teaching at for, you know, 20 years at this point. And so she stayed on as a professor for a few more years before her, quote, retirement in 1952, Mm -hmm. although she stayed on doing research as an emeritus for another 10 years. Of course. And during that time also, which was pretty cool, she looked specifically into the effects of nuclear fallout from the atomic bombings on plants. I wonder if she interacted with, uh, what's her name? Uh, Katsuko? Saruhashi? Wait, yeah, no. yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. Is that what her name is? Yeah. Okay. Um, um I don't think she did. I, I don't know okay. why, but I mean, maybe, maybe. But she was like an ocean person. Yeah, you know? but they both worked on Fallout. Roughly, yeah, that's like- true. That's true. Let's see. So. She donated all the money received at her retirement ceremony to the school um, to form a Yasui Kuroda scholarship where 
Chika Kuroda, I think, was the second woman to receive a PhD in Japan. And which we haven't talked about her yet, but she's pretty famous too, I think. And uh-huh. so together they form the scholarship. And it's a scholarship that supports students in the natural sciences at Ochanomizu University. Um, though, while she fought for these changes for women in science in Japan, like the establishment of the university and the scholarship, you know, at this women's university, she was always against treating women differently. Like her female mm-hmm. students, I don't actually know if she had male students, but she was like, I'm not going to treat them as if they're women or like, which it's hard to, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but like she would not join groups like the Society for Women in Science in Japan. She thought it was, she didn't want to be treated as like a woman in science, even though I'm doing that right now. Um, <laughs> if that makes sense. She just wanted to be like a person in science, but you know, there's different reasons. I think it's good to point out women in science obviously but i agree that you know women in science shouldn't be given special treatment or treated differently i don't know anyway i got um, you yeah so there were you know i think there were other philosophies in japan at the time which maybe we talked about this with katsuko sarahashi where some women in science were like, we are women in science, and we do mm-hmm. science differently as women, yep. and et cetera. And she was not part of that mentality, I guess. No. Um, throughout this time, she lived with her sister, Masa, who painted and took care of their home and cooking. So she mm-hmm. was like her wife almost, which is... <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I, th- I yeah. think they just lived together and yeah. were happy. Yeah. And yeah, in 1955, a few years after her official retirement, Kono received a medal with purple ribbon, which is a Japanese government issued medal of honor. In 1962, she was bedridden essentially i think she like collapsed at a bus station and yeah was basically could no longer leave her home so that was what kind of unofficially ended her research career you know but those that knew her would still come visit for long chats and tea and i think she had a lot of friends and a lot of mentors that um you know were her friends for many many years And in 1965, she received the Order of the Precious Crown, third class. And, however, she was never interested in any fame, saying, I do not seek fame, nor do I desire high high status, but will be content to know that my work lives on after me. And in 1971, she passed away at the age of 91 in her home in Tokyo. And that is her story. I love it. That was great. That was, um, yeah, she did so many things and like so many firsts, but also like very interesting kind of two separate research areas that I think are cool. 
Yeah. And she did a lot of, yeah, and didn't really talk about a lot of her specific studies. It was really like, it was always looking at the cells of plants, right? And, you know, looking at maybe their mitotic stages or Mm -hmm. changes in the cellular membrane as a result of exposure to something. So she kind of just took these techniques and was like, okay, what questions can I study using these, you know, cytological techniques that I'm really good at with plant cells? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Should we women who work? I'm starving and my stomach is like... Yeah, deaf. Like, I think you might be able to hear it in the recording. I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. All right. This is our Women Who Work section where we give out shout-outs to badass ladies making herstory today. Mm-hmm. Still feeling sultry. Keeping it up. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So my shout-out today goes to Dr. Azada Aryan, a research scientist at Virginia Tech, uh, and her co-authors for a paper that came out in PNAS recently Uh, where they found a gene that will convert female mosquitoes Mm. to non-biting male mosquitoes. What? Yes. So let me... So the mosquito that they worked on, Aedes aegypti, is an invasive species in the Americas, Mm -hmm. and it's the prime carrier of diseases like Zika and Dengue. Right. And so researchers are really interested in using genetic techniques to try to control this invasive species to try to minimize infections of these diseases in the Americas. So one of the kind of mainstream ideas for how to do this, how to use genetic techniques to control the species, is this sterile insect technique. Right. So the sterile insect technique is like an environmentally friendly insect pest control method, which involves... Essentially, you rear up a huge number of your target pests, and then you sterilize them. Mm-hmm. And then you release them into the environment over areas that have, you know, maybe high disease burden or something like that. And then when the males mate with the wild-type females, they result in no offspring. And so you lower kind of the number of female mosquitoes in that area that can cause disease yeah so kind of similarly to this idea is what this study was about so because only female mosquitoes suck blood right um, male mosquitoes aren't carriers of the disease and so if you can shift uh, you don't necessarily just have to make it where they don't produce off- offspring, but if you can manipulate the offspring to have uh, to be more males than females, then you're going to lower the number of mosquitoes that can actually transmit disease because yeah. the males don't suck blood, don't carry disease. Cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So scientists have known that Aedes aegypti males have this male-determining locus, so the section of the gene that's kind of similar to our Y chromosome that determines if a mosquito is going to be a male or a female. And within this locus is a gene called Nix, N-I-X, that has been shown Mm -hmm. to contribute to male determination. So if you have this gene, um, you're more likely going to be a male. Oh, okay. And so... 
That's kind of what's been known. And so in this study, Dr. Arian and co-authors show that if you insert this Nix gene into females, into their, um, into their genome, but not into that like male, because the females don't have the male locus. Okay. Um, you can just put it somewhere else in the female genome. This is sufficient to turn females into fertile males. They have the locus. Or do they not have the same, like, chromosome? Is it, like, a Y chromosome type thing? I don't know specifically. Uh, so maybe I don't the know chromosomes if it's... are different. I don't know. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not quite sure about that, what okay, their chromosomes okay. look like. So they were able to show that you insert nicks into the genome of a female... And that turns th- them into a male that's oh, fertile. Okay, cool. So they're not sterile males. Um, however, what they also found is that male flight is determined by this other gene, which is my uh, called myosex. Oh. And so, if you just insert the like Nix gene, although it produces fertile males, they can't fly. So they can't then physically like mate because they're not going to be able to go where the females are that's so so cool um but in order to determine that the males are actually fertile they have them mate with like cold anesthetized wild type females so i'm guessing the females are so cold that they don't move yeah and so the males can kind of like that's sad i know it's very upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's weird. But so they yeah. the, they can determine that the males can reproduce. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So going for so that's that's what their study showed. So going forward, the team hopes to be able to insert both the Nix gene and the myosex gene. So the Nix gene is the one that controls the sex, and the myosex gene is mm-hmm. the one that controls flight, which kind of the namings are kind of weird. Uh, but they want to insert both of those into female mosquito- mosquitoes, thus making them into fertile flying males. That's so crazy, but awesome. And the, Yeah, so they want to do this so that these flying males can then mate with wild-type females out in the field in areas where there's high infection prevalence. Right. And so then the females that they mate with are going to then produce offspring that have, uh, in general, both the Nix and myosex genes. Yeah, just Even if the offspring are female, thus making those females into males. So they're going to produce more males than females. So they're going to get this skew towards having mostly male offspring. Wow. And so that's going to lower the number of females and lower the uh, infection in the area. Wow. Theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, However, like, much work. This is really early stages. They still need to do, like, I think, you know, next steps likely are trying to insert both of these genes, seeing how the flies do, then right. doing these, like, cage experiments. Yeah. Where it's, you know, in between the lab and releasing that. You don't want to just release these genetically no, you can't. engineered mosquitoes 
without doing a lot of tests. So then you do these like cage trials where it's a little more realistic, a little larger scale, but still contained. So there's still work to go, but I thought that was very cool identifying these specific genes. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, yeah, it's usually like, because you also have to see if this genetically modified mosquito really will kind of outcompete like the normal mosquitoes, you know? Mm-hmm. In terms of, like, their population biology, like, will that really spread throughout the population over generations? Or are we just going to release a bunch of mosquitoes and then they're all going to (laughs) die? Yeah. 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 Or is there going to be some where if you actually give females, if you don't make the females immobile, are they going to have some type of uh, preference and they're going to actually choose you know, the wild type males right. over these manipulated males, and then it's not going to work. Yeah. Like, you, you also need the females to choose equally or more so to mate mm-hmm. with these engineered males in yeah. order for this to work. So, there's, yeah, still a lot to do, but it's cool. Yeah, uh, it's it sounds a very really interesting promising. way to do biocontrol. Yeah, that's like I worked in a lab that was studying Wolbachia in flies and mosquitoes Mm -hmm. as a form of biological control. Because, like, Wolbachia is a bacteria that uh, manipulates, like, the reproductive ability of a lot of different insects. So, like, if females mate with males, some, you know, if one of them's infected, they might not be compatible. Um, Gotcha. And sort of, they've done a lot of similar like population trials, and it's successful in some places and not in others. So yeah, I'll be really interested in seeing how this all works out because it sounds a little bit more um, without having to rely because like that those trials rely on a mosquito and a bacteria, and whether or not the bacteria will like spread throughout the population. Mm-hmm. essentially um whereas this seems to be a little bit more might be a little bit more successful since it's just me- genetically modifying the mosquitoes themselves yeah really cool but yeah it's cool stuff so that's my shout out woo 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 that's our pod and that that's our shout out that's our pod thanks everybody for tuning in we appreciate we appreciate you. <laughs> Whoever you are, we appreciate Whoever you. Whoever you are. Wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to our pod. If you like <laughs> our pod, we'd love it if you tell your friend about it or leave us an iTunes review. Mm-hmm. I know it's a little bit of a pain in the ass to do it, but we appreciate it. We read them all. We love them all. They make us smile inside. <laughs> um so yeah, we'd really appreciate that. Or just tweet about us if you are so inclined and you're like really feeling an ep. Yeah. And also want to give big shout outs to Caitlin Friesen for all our amazing art and to Artichoke for our awesome theme music. And um, go stimulate yourself. Stimulate yourself. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I need, I need more energy. Okay. And as yeah. always... Go, Go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself.